0: This morning, uh, I would like to uh, study the book of uh, Habakkuk. So if you have your Bibles, you can open uh, with me there. If you need to use the table of contents at the front of your Bible, uh, go ahead and, uh, and do that. Habakkuk is not, uh, not a book that we uh, usually turn to, uh, but that's what I would like to uh, study this morning. As you're, as you're turning there, uh, if you were to, uh, to pause and think for a moment, which would you say is harder uh, trusting God or obeying God? Uh, and that was a, a question that I had never really thought about until uh, reading Jerry Bridges' book, Trusting God. Uh, and at the beginning of that book, he makes uh, the point that it is easier to obey God than it is to trust Him. And why is that? Well, he, he says this, Jerry Bridges, says that, Uh, It's easier to, to trust God because the, or it's easier to obey God because the moral will of God given to us in the Bible is rational and reasonable. The circumstances in which we must trust God often appear irrational and inexplicable. The law of God is recognized to be good for us even when we don't want to obey it. The circumstances of our lives frequently appear to be dreadful and grim or perhaps even calamitous and tragic. Obeying God is worked out within well-defined boundaries of God's revealed will. Trusting God is worked out in an arena that has no boundaries. We do not know the full extent, the duration, or the frequency of the painful, adverse circumstances in which we must frequently trust God. We are always coping with the unknown. And I I love that statement from Jerry Bridges because it it so well defines where we are exactly right now. We're in a a period of time where we have to trust God because we don't know how long our current circumstances will extend into the future. Uh, And even though we we know intellectually that we need to trust God, it is difficult uh, at times uh, to actually do that. Well, we struggle to trust Him even though we know that we should. And when we do not trust Him, we tend to, to downplay uh, our lack of obedience there. We tend to, to downplay the seriousness of that decision not to trust God. And we tend to think that obeying God is mandatory uh, and that trusting Him Uh, is optional Uh, as if trusting him is not the actual homework it's just really an extra credit assignment uh, that if you don't do that there's nothing that counts against you it's it's just a bonus for your grade but that is not the case Jerry Bridges in that same book makes this additional point he says it is just as important to trust God as it is to obey him when we disobey God we defy his authority and despise his holiness but when we fail to trust god we doubt his sovereignty and question his goodness in both cases we cast aspersions upon his majesty and his character god views our distrust of him as seriously as he views our disobedience and Simply put, to trust God is to believe what He has said about Himself to us in His Word. Uh, and to say that we are not trusting God is really to, uh, in essence, we are saying, God, I don't believe in your testimony about yourself. Or we're saying, God, I don't believe that you are able or willing to keep the promises that you have made to me in your Word. And while I would add that right now we're treating obeying God and trusting God as if they were in different categories. But really what we need to see is that trusting God is a command in Scripture. Uh, It is something that we are called to obey. There there are numerous passages in the Bible that call us to trust in the Lord. There's a command there. Psalm 37.3 says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Psalm 62, 8 says, Trust in Him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. In Proverbs 3, 5, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Isaiah 26, 4 says, Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. Additionally, Scripture not only commands us to trust in the Lord, but it also condemns a lack of trust in the Lord. It says this is sinful. Uh, In Psalm 78, verses 19 to 22, uh, the, the psalmist writes, They spoke against God, saying, Can God spread a table in the wilderness? He struck the rock so that water gushed out, and streams overflowed. Can he also give bread or provide meat for his people? Therefore, when the Lord heard, he was full of wrath. A fire was kindled against Jacob. His anger rose against Israel because they did not believe in God and did not trust his saving power. Now the psalmist is speaking about the generation of Israelites in the wilderness was saying how they doubted God and they questioned God, right? Can God spread a table in the wilderness? They're doubting God's character, His power and His word. What He has said and that the heart of that question, can God spread a table in the wilderness? Uh, at, at the heart of that is the very same question that, that Satan began uh, in, in the garden with. In tempting Adam and Eve. He says, has God said that that doubting of the person and the character and the word of God was the very first step that Satan wanted Adam and Eve to take towards rebellion and towards sin and wandering away from God? And we need to, to see the sinfulness of a distrust in God's character and word. Trusting God is the very essence of faith, and yet it is so hard to trust Him when we are facing adversity. But, but that's where uh, the rubber meets the road. That's where our faith must be applied and demonstrated. So how do we grow in our ability and our willingness to trust God in uncertain times when facing adversity, when facing trials and tribulations, when facing injustice or persecution? So many things in life require us to trust God, and especially now, in the middle of this pandemic. We don't know how long it's going to last. We don't know how long we're going to be called to to isolate. I don't know how long I'm going to be called to to preach to a camera rather than directly to you. Uh, And we have to trust God in the middle of this. And in his book, Bridges uh, gave this as his foundational premise. He says that the scriptures teach us three essential truths about God. Truths that we must believe and be convinced of if we are to trust God in adversity. And they're these three, it says, number one, that, that God is absolutely sovereign. Secondly, that God is infinite in wisdom. And then third, that God is perfect in love. And I love this quote from Jerry Bridges that kind of summarizes all three of those. He says, God, in his love, always wills what is best for us. In his wisdom, he always knows what is best. And in his sovereignty, he has the power to bring it about. And you might say, well, all of that is great, but how do I get to the point that I really believe those statements? How do I get to the point where I really believe those things about God when I can't see it, when I can't uh, view Him physically? How do I how do I trust God in the middle of these circumstances? And what does it look like to transition from questioning God in my heart to trusting Him in my heart? Well, that leads us to Habakkuk. That leads us to this Old Testament prophet that I want to look at uh, this morning. Uh, and a little bit of a background is we're really going to kind of do a a big overview of the book and then we're going to really study the last four verses uh, in uh, this Old Testament book. It's only three chapters long, so don't don't get overwhelmed when I say we're going to look at the whole book. Uh, but a little bit of background, that Habakkuk is a prophet to the southern kingdom of Judah, just a little bit before uh, the prophet Jeremiah, which we're reading this month in our growth groups. So he is a, a prophet to the southern kingdom uh, in the late... Uh, 600s BC and uh, we can say the early 600s about 640 to 625 Uh, and Habakkuk was there during the days of uh, Josiah and his sons Uh, Jehoahaz was a a wicked king, the son of Josiah and he ruled for only three months before he was taken captive by uh, Pharaoh Necho of Egypt Uh, and Pharaoh put his brother in his place and renamed him Jehoiakim Uh, And while he ruled for 11 years, he also was an evil king. You can read about both of them uh, in 2 Kings chapter 23. And so Habakkuk, as a prophet living in the land of Judah, he had seen the the good days of Josiah uh, and then this downward slide uh, as Josiah's sons took over and the kingdom fell more and more into sin. And and, and there was a, a great amount of injustice in the land. Uh, during Habakkuk's time. And and that is why he initially comes to the Lord. He comes as a complainer, uh, as a grumbler. And if you look with me at Habakkuk uh, chapter 1, verse 1 just says, hey, the oracle that Habakkuk, the prophet saw. And then verses 2 through 4 show us the prophet coming to the Lord, uh, complaining, lamenting about the situation in Judah at that time. And he says, oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help? Uh, and that, that is the complaint of Habakkuk he's seeing all of this injustice in the land among God's people and he's saying God are you going to do anything? Are you just going to let these things happen? So Habakkuk is here and he's not only suffering himself but he's seeing suffering throughout the land and he's just saying God where are you? What, what is happening here? Justice is not going forth and, and the righteous are being surrounded Well, and then the Lord's going to answer him. Uh, Habakkuk complains. Uh, he turns to the Lord in prayer, and then God speaks to him. And that's what we see in verses 5 through 11. And in those verses, uh, what the Lord does is he says, Yes, Habakkuk, I have seen it, and I'm going to deal with it. And how I'm going to deal with it is I'm going to send the Chaldeans, uh, whom we know as the, the Babylonians. I'm going to send them to judge Judah and to bring judgment, to bring justice, uh, and Habakkuk hears that and he's like, "Whoa, God! Wait, how can you do that?" And we see Habakkuk responding to to the Lord saying, "This is what he's going to do." Uh, that uh, the Lord is saying, "Hey, I'm going to use the Babylonians to judge Judah," and Hab- leads Habakkuk to complain even more. Uh, and we see this. Uh, beginning in verse 12 in chapter one, and and the the prophet there he says, "Are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We shall not die, O Lord. You have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil, and cannot look at wrong." Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? Uh, and so really what Habakkuk is saying, God, things are bad here in Judah, but you can't use the Babylonians to judge us. We're better than them. You can't. How does that work? God, you need to judge the Babylonians and us, but, but you can't use them to bring justice here. Uh, and that is the, the heart of uh, Habakkuk's second complaint that begins in chapter 1 verse 12 uh, and then it extends over to chapter 2 verse 1 where the prophet uh, complains to God a second time and in essence saying, God how can you do that? He's questioning God's judgment and then in chapter 2 verse 1 he says, okay I will take my stand at my watchpost and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me, he being God and what I will answer concerning my complaint. So Habakkuk is just saying, hey, I'm just going to wait here and, and and wait for more interaction with God because this can't be happening. He can't use the Babylonians to, to judge Judah. That's not righteous. But this is what the Lord then responds in, in chapter 2. Now what we're going to have is the, the Lord speaking directly to Habakkuk, about this situation in in chapter 2, verses 2 through 5. And this is going to be uh, instructions from God. In essence, what we're going to see, God's response is, wait, Habakkuk. Now you're saying that that would be unjust for me to to bring in the Babylonians to judge uh, Judah. But but those who are righteous, they will live by faith. Their, Their faith will make them righteous, and that is how they will live. Uh, look with me in chapter 2, beginning in verse 2. And the Lord answered me. Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. But The righteous shall live by his faith. And that is the the, the emphasis of God's message to Habakkuk. This is what's going to happen, Habakkuk. Write it down on tablets so you know for sure and then you just need to wait for it to happen. God doesn't give him a time of when the Babylonians are coming. He just says, no, mark it down. If it seems slow, keep waiting for it. Uh, And you just need to trust. The righteous will live by his faith. And And then in verses 6 through the end of chapter 2, verses 6 through 20, uh, God is going to give these five woes. So he's going to say, hey, I'm going to use the Babylonians to judge Judah. But then he also pronounces judgment upon Babylon for the injustices that they are are committing. Uh, And what we see here in these verses uh, is a repeated pattern. So we see it in verse uh, 6, midway through. It says, woe to him. Uh, and then verse nine, woe to him. And then verse twelve, woe to him. So we have this this series of woes in chapter two, and and about God is speaking out against uh, the violent extortioner. He's speaking out against those who are greedy. He's speaking out against the murderer and the drunkard. Uh, and then at the end of chapter two, verses eighteen through twenty, he speaks out against the idolater. Uh, and God says, woe to all of those who are committing these sins. And so. Uh, then at the end of chapter 2, it kind of closes what you could call Habakkuk's perplexities. He, he's coming to God for answers because he's not understanding everything that is happening in his own time. And then uh, after hearing from God, so he, he's prayed to God, complaining and saying, God, give me some answers. I need some, some wisdom and understanding. But then he, he turns to the Lord in prayer after hearing from God directly. In chapter 3, You might see a a heading there. It says Habakkuk's prayer. This is a a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet according to the the Shigyunath, which again that should ring some bells. It's similar to the psalms that we have studied in the past. So yeah, this is now a psalm of Habakkuk. uh, And this is what he's going to commit himself to. This is his reflection now after he has prayed to God and after he has heard from God. Uh, And this is what We're going to see in Habakkuk's prayer. Verses 1 and 2 are Habakkuk's prayer for mercy. Verse 2 says, O Lord, I have read the report of you and your work. O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years revive it. In the midst of the years make it known. In wrath remember mercy. So again, God, Judah is, is worthy of your judgment, but please also be merciful in that judgment. And then Verses 3 through 15 presents this amazing portrayal of God coming in wrath and coming in judgment. And this is what, what Habakkuk has been reflecting upon in, in hearing from God and, and God pronouncing woe upon sin and promising to judge it in, not only in Judah but also in Babylon. And as you, you look at these verses... Habakkuk uses this this language of warfare and God coming down and marching through and and bringing judgment upon uh, sin and and the wrath of God being uh, poured out. And uh, if you look with me over at uh, verse 12 in chapter 3, Habakkuk says, You, speaking of God, you marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. And you went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. And you pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors, and who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters." And so what we, what we see there, God coming in wrath, but also in mercy, right? You went out for the salvation of your people. And so after uh, Habakkuk prays for mercy and then reflects upon God's judgment and mercy, this is now that we're coming to the end here, Now, coming to the end of this book. We're coming to the end of Habakkuk's psalm of lament, uh, and now we're going to see Habakkuk's Final conclusion about this situation. Now, this is where I'd like to, to camp out uh, here this morning. But, but Habakkuk says this. This is where he arrives after contemplating all of these things. He says, I hear, and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet, I will quietly wait For the day of trouble, to come upon people who invade us. And though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. To the choir master with stringed instruments. And in these final four verses of the book, we see how... Habakkuk has moved from the very beginning, right, questioning the Lord, questioning his judgment, his righteousness. And now we see that Habakkuk has moved from questioning to trusting the Lord. And what we see is that by going to the Lord in prayer and then by receiving the word of God in response to that, uh, God's word came to him and it was Habakkuk's reflection upon God's character and upon God's word that brought him peace and comfort, and that helped him get through the days, the weeks, and the years of uncertainty in his own time. And now for you and me in the twenty first century, we can cry out to God. We can pray to him, but we don't necessarily we're not going to hear from God in the same way that the prophet Habakkuk did. God's not is not going to speak to us with an audible voice, but God still speaks to us through His Word. And so we can we can turn to God in prayer and we can turn to His written Word in order to find peace and comfort in uncertain times. And as we do as Habakkuk did, as we trust in God's character, as we trust in His Word, we will be helped through these days of uncertainty in our own time. These are not the first uncertain days in human history. Uh, and we can make it through this by looking to and trusting in God. But you might ask, if I trust God, what will happen? Well, you may initially just feel a little bit of, uh, you are no longer in control. Which is good, because you need to feel that, because you're not in control. Uh, you, 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 we come and we trust God with those things that are out of our hands, when, when things are way beyond us. But what I really mean by that question is, what happens when we decide to trust in God's character? What, what, what type of harvest comes up in our life when we plant the seeds of trust in God? And this morning, as we look at these verses, we're going to see three results of trusting in God's character and word during times of uncertainty. When we are suffering, when we're facing injustice, when we're trapped indoors in the middle of a pandemic and we we need to to trust in uh, the sovereignty, the wisdom, and the love of God and knowing what's going to take place in the future, uh, we can look and see in the life of Habakkuk the results of trusting in God. And we're going to to see these three results. And and the first one, uh, you could say this, that if we trust in God we will find rest in his wisdom. And we see this in verse 16, where Habakkuk wrote this. He says, I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. And so, again, after reflecting upon God coming in in wrath and coming in judgment and bringing judgment upon the nations and coming in in mercy to save his people, Habakkuk was a mess, right? And you look at the first part of verse 16 and and you begin to see uh, through his language what he is feeling uh, emotionally on the inside. He says his his body was trembling. His his lips were were quivering. Or we might say in uh, in our own kind of Americanese, our teeth were chattering. Right? Of uh, that is the emotion. His his body was trembling. His lips were quivering. It says his bones were were rotting and his knees were knocking. That is a whole lot of emotion taking place in Habakkuk as he as he meditates and contemplates God bringing justice upon the earth. And yet while all of those emotions are taking place on the inside of him, he also says he was committed to waiting quietly upon the Lord. And you're like, well, how does that work? How do do I wait quietly when I'm I'm shaking? How, How do I do that? And it sounds like An oxymoron or a paradox, right? Two things that are opposite in nature, but you're you're putting them together. And how can you be trembling and waiting quietly? You you could say, to a certain extent, this uh, this stay-at-home order has made oxymorons of us all. Uh, Right now, we are all alone together, Uh, and uh, we are. uh, Some of you might be viewing all of this as a working vacation. Uh, or you might see uh, cheerful pessimists on social media. Uh, and others of you, after being uh, at home with your, your family for weeks on end, you might have a comfortable misery right now uh, in your house. Uh, but what we see here is that as Christians, we can have a tumultuous tranquility. Uh, we can have a trust in the Lord that supersedes all of our emotions, that we can be turning on the inside and then yet wait and say, wait wait a second, I'm feeling all of this, but this is not what should be. I'm feeling all of this, but I need to to trust, I need to make that commitment uh, to wait quietly upon the Lord and see what he is going to do. This is like what we talked about last week in First Peter, right? of preparing our minds for action, of taking every thought captive, uh, and setting our hope, fixing our hope upon the grace of God to be revealed to us at the coming of Jesus Christ. And, and that is, in essence, what Habakkuk is saying. Habakkuk realized that God, God's will and God's wisdom were far greater than his own. As they were above and beyond him, And while Habakkuk would have preferred uh, that Judah be judged in a a different way, he says, okay, Lord, if you are going to use the Babylonians to come and bring judgment to your people, then that that is what is going to happen. And may your will be done, Lord. And Habakkuk was now submitting himself to God's will and God's wisdom. And, And the force of the Hebrew verb here implies that Habakkuk is responding to a command he's responding to what God has instructed him to do. And that's really what we we saw back at the beginning of chapter 2 in Habakkuk. Right, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end, and it will not lie. And if it seems slow, wait for it. And Habakkuk is saying, okay, I will do that, Lord. I will do as you have instructed me to do. And Habakkuk was able to wait quietly because he trusted in the character and the word of God. And he would not allow himself uh, to, to run rampant. And he was going to trust the Lord. And he was going to trust in God's wisdom for how God was going to bring about judgment and justice in the land at that point in time. And the fact, he trusted in the ways of God, also knowing that God would rescue his people in his own way and in his own time as well. God brings judgment in his own way uh, and in his own time. Uh, he's going to do the same with our deliverance from suffering and tribulation in this life. Uh, and we need to see and understand and begin to view uncertain times. We need to view suffering and trials as great, as tremendous opportunities for us to trust God, to demonstrate our faith in His character and His work. Now, those are great opportunities to depend upon Him in prayer uh, and to wait upon Him to accomplish uh, what He wants to do, when He wants to do it, and how He wants to do it. And we don't know how God is going to, to end this Pandemic, we don't know when it's going to end, we don't know what our life is going to look like after this. I keep reflecting on man, what is it going to be like when we finally get to, to gather again as a church? Or what is that day going to be like? Like, how big of a celebration do we want to have? And then, even when we have such a tremendous celebration, like, are we going to wear masks? Are we going to like do air high fives? And like, oh, just so keep still, so keep your distance. But I can't, I can't wait for that day. But God's going to bring that about in his own time and in his own way. And God has allowed this pandemic to happen. You can say, well, could God have stopped this? Absolutely. Did he? No. Well, so then he's going to, he's going to use it for, for our good and to bring himself glory in the middle of these circumstances. And he's going to give us the grace uh, and the, the wisdom and the strength to make it through Uh, this time right now. Uh, And so that is what we see as the first result of trusting God. If we trust in God, we will rest in His wisdom. Uh, And secondly, if we trust in God, we will find joy in His salvation. We see this in verses 17 and 18 where Habakkuk says this. He says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines. The produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. And Habakkuk lists off these six statements here. And These statements could be hypothetical or they could very well be the current situation uh, in the land of Judah at that time. Uh, And the picture that he paints is this, that there is no food, uh, that there is no means of production, and there is no way for him to provide for himself or his family. This would definitely qualify as a period of suffering even before the Babylonians come and and bring further judgment upon Judah. And indeed, what Habakkuk says there has many parallels to our current situation. If we were going to to write six statements reflecting upon our current days right now, it might sound a little like this, that though the the frozen pizzas be sold out and the toilet paper be out of stock, though the movies might only be on demand and the internet might be slow, the sports might be gone and the news rather gloomy. And we, we could say that, right? Uh but, but also maybe on a on a more serious note. I say those things in jest. Right? We, we can we can trust the Lord in our current situation because things haven't gotten that bad right now. Right? We're 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 at home, but for the most part we have food and, and, and the rent is, is paid for and all of these things, but what we're uneasy about what's going to happen in the future. And and we could write Maybe six more statements on a more serious note regarding our times. And though the markets should have no food, and the refrigerator is empty, the production in factories ceases and jobs yield no income, the dollar be cut off and all savings be lost, even if things got that bad, even then, yet we could still trust in the Lord. We could still rejoice in him and we could still find and take joy in the God of our salvation. Because if all of those things came about, worst case scenario in this pandemic, we still have God and we still have our salvation in Christ. I love what The Puritan Thomas Brooks said, he says, A man may take away my gold, but he cannot take away my God. And that is what we have to to see and understand. And Habakkuk is not looking at all of his circumstances. His eyes are focused upon the God of his salvation. His eyes are focused upon what is imperishable. Even as we read last week in 1 Peter Uh, chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Uh, And... And that is what we must see and focus upon. Not just upon our our earthly circumstances, but upon uh, the inheritance that we have in heaven that is untouchable, that's not going to, to be taken away from us at any point in time. And that is what we must focus upon. He trusted in the promises and the character of God, and that enabled him to rejoice in his salvation rather than despairing in his circumstances. And that is what we must take note of here. That if if you have placed your faith in Christ, uh, if you have looked to Him uh, as your Savior, if you if you look at Him and understand that He lived and died to save you from the penalty of sin, that, that He went to the cross to bear the wrath of God that we deserved, and that He rose again on the third day, verifying and affirming that God accepted that sacrifice on our behalf, which we're going to to look at and celebrate next weekend, if you believe that, then your salvation is secure. And it's not going to be uh, destroyed. It's not going to be touched. It's not going to be taken away by anything that takes place in this life. And that is what allows us to take joy. That is what allows us to find joy. Even in the middle of these circumstances that we face now and that's what enabled Habakkuk to find joy and to to take joy in the middle of impending and looming judgment from a foreign nation in his own time. On his side of the cross, Habakkuk was looking forward to what the Messiah would one day come and accomplish, but on our side of the cross, we look back knowing full well who the Messiah is Jesus, the son of David. We look back in faith, trusting in what Jesus has accomplished. And again, we are called to remember our future. It's like we looked at last week. Remember the salvation that we have, which is secure in Christ. I love what Charles Spurgeon says. That If there are any of you in great trouble, I would like to remind you of this fact that faith in Jesus is the best cure for every care, the best balm for every wound. Get you away to Jesus at the foot of his cross is the best place for mourners. All our other sorrows die where Jesus' sorrows are revealed. Faith in Christ is what you need beyond everything else. And indeed, that is what we must do. And that is, again, the second result of trusting in God. That if we trust God, we will find joy in His salvation. And then thirdly, in verse 19... What we see is this, that if we trust God, we will find stability in His strength. Look at me at that verse. Habakkuk writes, God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. And if you look there at that that first line in the verse, notice that they all caps there for... God. What that means is that in the Hebrew, it's the name of God. So more literally, it's Yahweh, the Lord, is my strength. Yahweh is his strength. God is the source of his being strong. And there's a little bit of a play on words here. Uh, At the end of Habakkuk, Habakkuk here says, God, the Lord, is my strength. If you look back uh, at chapter 1, verse 11, I know we we skipped over this, but in speaking about the Babylonians, and speaking about their their power and their coming in, uh, Habakkuk said, or the Lord said this about the Babylonians, in chapter 1, verse 11, he says, Then they sweep by like the wind and go on, guilty men whose might... Literally, whose strength, whose own might, is their God. So, so here's this play on words. Uh, that Habakkuk is saying, well, the Babylonians rely upon their own strength. Their strength is their God. But Habakkuk says, my strength is God. That he is the one who supplies strength. Uh, and, and that's uh, quite the difference, right? And, and when we look to our own strengths to make it through, and when our own strength, our own ability is our God, we eventually find out that we can't make it. We eventually find out the limitations of our strength, the limitations of our might, and when, when we realize we, we can't do all that we thought we could, that's devastating. Right? And then we realize how weak we are. But God needs to be our strength. When He is our strength, our strength doesn't run out. But we have an, an infinite supply of strength when God is the one who is our strength. And Habakkuk uses the illustration of the, the, the sure footedness of a deer. It says, The Lord, uh, Yahweh, the Lord, is my strength. And he makes my feet like the deers. And deers are known for, for this ability to, to bound quickly uh, through forests or over, over rocky terrain. And, and they always have sure footing. Uh, you, I, I remember going to the San Diego Zoo and, and reading something about this little, little deer there that it could jump uh, ten feet uh, up uh, and land all four of its feet on a, on a rock. Uh, the size of a half dollar. Uh, And it could be just as sure-footed on that uh, little rocky precipice uh, as it is running uh, on level ground. The point of this illustration is to compare the the sure-footedness of the deer with the sure-footedness of the believer. Uh, That if we trust in God, if He is our strength, there is a stability that comes with that. Uh, and that we can leap over all of the the trials and uncertain times in our life we can we can bound through them without losing or missing a step. we don't stumble and, and fall and wipe out in the middle of uncertain times because God is our strength, and He provides us with sure footing and He leads us and guides us through all of these times, and we can bound swiftly and gracefully over the most difficult of trials because God is our strength and He is the one who gives the stability to our steps. And we must trust in Him. Again, I don't know what what the days ahead hold for each of us. But I know that no matter what happens, if God is our strength, He will give us sure footing, even as Habakkuk says here. So as we have... Looked at this passage this morning as we've really studied the whole book of Habakkuk. We see these three results that we can experience if we trust God in the midst of troubles. We will find rest in His wisdom. We will find joy in His salvation. And we will find stability in His strength. But all of those are... Conditional, right? If we trust in the character, if we trust in the Word of God, then those things can be true. But if we don't trust, then we we will not experience those things. Last week we sang the song, uh, Christ the Sure and Steady Anchor. And verse 1 of that song says this Christ the Sure and Steady Anchor in the fury of the storm. When the winds of doubt blow through me and my sails have all been torn. In the suffering, in the sorrow, when my sinking hopes are few, I will hold fast to the anchor. It shall never be removed. That's what the the prophet Habakkuk realized, that he needed to cling to God in the middle of his circumstances. Now again, quote Charles Spurgeon, to close us out this morning. Spurgeon says, It is often so with us. When the winds are out and the storms are raging, there is plenty of fear, but there is no danger. We may be much tossed, but we are quite safe. For we have an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which will not start. One blessed thing is that our hope has such a grip of us that we know it. In a ship you feel the pull of the anchor, and the more the wind rages, the more you feel that the anchor holds you. Like the boy with his kite, the kite is up in the clouds when he cannot see it, but he knows it is there, for he feels its pull. And so our good hope has gone up to heaven, and it is pulling and drawing us towards itself. And that is so true right now, right? And that that we feel driven and tossed about like a, like a storm, or like a ship on stormy waters. But if Christ is our anchor, we also feel that anchor holding us tight and pulling us and steadying us in the middle of all of these things. And my prayer is that Christ would be our anchor this weekend and every day of our lives as we trust in Him and as we trust in His Word during these uncertain times uh, and uh, in the middle of this pandemic that we can still be as sure-footed as a deer bounding through all of these trials.